0: Good morning, my name is Maggie Baker. This morning our scripture reading is from the book of 2 Thessalonians. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading from chapter two, verses 13 through 17 from the New International Version. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. And I want to invite you to think about something. And I, I, my guess is that there's a small handful of you who think about things this way. And you're glad that the preacher is finally talking about it also in that way. And there's a small handful of you who are going to be surprised that in this modern day and age, we are still talking or thinking like that. Uh, But my guess is that most of you uh, have not thought about things this way. And so I want to invite you to think about it. And I think the sort of the main takeaway, my guess is after the sermon, is you're going to have to think about it for yourself. If you can uh, buy into this way of of viewing how the world works and determine for yourself if it's true. And then you'll have to uh, think about it sort of in the minutia of your everyday life and see if it's true at that level, which I believe it is. So the topic we're going to talk about today is Satan. And uh, already, do you have a reaction? Does that already kind of... Okay, not yet. The evil one or the antichrist or the lawless one, these are terms that are used in the chapter today. Not all of it has been read for us yet. Uh, I'm going to use them interchangeably. I know they're not the same thing. And I want to get to it by talking about, uh, starting by talking about these four descriptors of our culture. And I think as we go through these, you'll begin to uh, get what I'm getting at. Okay. Uh, first, this idea of relativism. It sort of came into being through uh, post-modernity. And post-modernity started dying in the 70s, and so it may already be kind of past as far as... Uh, sort of a topic we discuss, but it's still very much alive today and the idea behind relativism is that everything is relative that there really aren't absolute truths and so in our culture today for example you hear a lot of people talk about my truth this is my truth and we are called to respect each other's truth so that's one of the ways that relativism still lives on today Another descriptor of our culture is this word tolerance. And I feel like tolerance sort of came and went. It was very much alive like for two, three years. And then it sort of uh, began to disappear. But the idea behind tolerance is that we, this is the highest value of social norm. We have to tolerate each other. That's that's the call. And then Third descriptor of our culture is maybe this idea of inclusion, that we are not to be excluding or exclusive, but to speak in such a way and be be such a way as a community to include everyone in our midst, whether you're small or tall or whatever you are, you are included. And then a fourth way that I'll mention today is this idea of freedom of speech, that We get to say whatever we want. This is sort of a value that's come to the fore in the last couple of years. Now, I don't know what you think about these terms, and maybe you don't think about them at all, but I think you're inundated by them. That it's everywhere in social media, it's in the news, and it's coming at you even if you're not coming at it. And the point that I want to make right now is that these aren't just ideas. These aren't just cultural descriptors. These aren't just these intangibles, but behind these ideas, there's a kind of spirit. There's a kind of personality or a person that behind the invisible world in which we live, there are authors at work, what the Bible calls principalities and powers at work. Do you think about your life and your world this way, that it's not just human beings, it's not just the machinery of existence, but that there's actually a person behind it all? I want to invite you to consider that your life is such a platform in which real life spirits are exercising their will, and it's giving you purpose, and it's giving you values. Um, what I uh, love about truth is that truth can stand on its own. A thing that I'm coming to understand is that there are truths, and then there are partial truths. And partial truths often masquerade as truths, but they are not the same at all. For example, the four values that I read for us—these uh, descriptors, cultural descriptors—are not truths. They are partial truths. And partial truths, Ravi Zacharias, he's a Christian apologist and speaker, he says, partial truths cannot stand on their own because at its core, it's self-cannibalizing. It eats itself over time, eventually. The nature of partial truth is that it eats itself. Another way he says it is that it's a kind of universal solvent that eventually nothing can contain it so it sort of dissolves even itself because you think about the term universal solvent it's going to dissolve the container that's aiming to contain it right um tim keller one of my favorite pastors and preachers and thinkers He says this, for example, he's commenting on Ravi Zacharias' statements that certain partial truths are self-cannibalizing and are universal solvents. He says, for example, the assertion, there's a a cultural assertion that fundamentalism leads to evil and should be eradicated. This is what a lot of uh, uh, relativists believe, that if you believe something absolutely, anything that's believed absolutely is dangerous, in its core, it's evil, and it has to be eradicated. Tim Keller says, well, what about the fundamental assertion that you should love your neighbor as yourself? Is that dangerous? Is that evil? Does that lead to destruction? He says no, because it depends on what the fundamental is. And then Keller goes on to explain that the assertion that fundamentalism leads to evil is itself a fundamental assertion meaning that it's a partial truth. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not. It sounds true, and it makes sense until you think about it. And as soon as you start thinking about it, it starts eating itself. Because the assertion that fundamentalism leads to evil is itself a fundamentalism. Partial truths can never pass its own test. So let's go back to the four cultural descriptors that I listed out for us. And just via observation and via your own anecdotal experience, I think you'll begin to see that over the course of time and practice, they all begin to eat themselves up. Uh, First of all, relativism. This is an easy one. The statement that everything is relative is itself absolute. So you can't make the statement, everything is relative, if you believe that everything is relative. You have to be an absolutist to believe that everything is relative. And so already it begins to dissolve itself. It's self-cannibalizing. And so we live in a world where absolute truth does exist. Because if you see through everything, C.S. Lewis says, then you see nothing. At some point, a window is only valuable because there's a flower bed on the other side of it, and you get to enjoy it from the kitchen window. You can't say everything is just relative. does not make sense. Second, let's take tolerance, for example. Tolerance says that you have to tolerate everything. But we started practice, practicing tolerism as a culture about two years ago. And you know what happened? Tolerance began to eat itself because it became the most intolerant value. Because it could not tolerate anyone that was perceived to be intolerant. And so tolerance quickly ate itself, dissolved itself, and it made way to, on college campuses and in other thinking institutions, to things like safe spaces. Safe spaces are places where you get to be in and speak as long as you are not perceived as intolerant. So tolerance really isn't talked about much in our culture anymore, right? Instead, we have safe spaces and trigger warnings. That's how it is. Uh, Inclusion. Inclusion means that every Everybody has to be included. But we realize in practice, it includes everyone except people that are perceived to be exclusionary. I was recently reading an article about Cambridge University. Uh, There is a a professor that was extended by Cambridge University a visiting fellowship. Now, this professor took a picture with a fan. And a student of his was wearing a T-shirt with a message that was deemed to be exclusionary. My guess is this professor had no idea what was on the T-shirt. He probably didn't even read it. But somebody, that guy, took a picture, a selfie or something, of himself with the professor wearing the T-shirt. He was wearing the T-shirt, the student... And then Cambridge University somehow got a hold of this picture and decided that this professor was exclusionary based on the fact that he took a picture with a fan who was wearing a t-shirt that was deemed to be exclusionary. So they excluded him, and they took away his visiting fellowship. And so being inclusive as the end-all, be-all value cannot stand on its own. It cannot pass its own test. It begins to eat itself. Because by definition, if you're going to say inclusion is everything, you have to include exclusion. Freedom of speech. Lastly, freedom of speech. Any speech? We have social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook and such that were created for the exercising of this right, so-called free speech. And we as Good Americans know this value very well. Our country is just built on this idea of freedom of speech. And yet, even these giant companies have to decide what is allowed, what is acceptable, what is safe for their community. So, for example, uh, uh, supposedly really liberal, and by that I mean generous, generous uh, uh, forum or platform is something called Reddit, R-E-D-D-I-T. They have whole subreddits and comments that are excluded from the platform altogether. You cannot believe something and still be on the platform which exists for the freedom of speech. Now, the Bible says freedom of speech is sometimes true. There's some value to it. There's something really good about it. But it's not the whole truth. It's not the absolute truth. The real truth is, for example... You are free to take captive every thought. That's what the Bible teaches. That you don't just exist, but you exist for a purpose. And this purpose gives you the freedom. And that freedom itself has a purpose. You are free to love people with this freedom. You are free to worship God with this freedom. You are free to accomplish the purpose for which you were created. And so the value is not just freedom. It's freedom to accomplish your purpose. And so freedom of speech begins to cannibalize itself. It can't pass its own tests. And here's what we're going to go into right now. The Christian worldview is that behind these partial truths, partial truths are what Scripture calls lies, because there's no more powerful a lie than a partial truth. There's nothing more manipulative than a partial truth. Outright lies are easy to spot. They can be swatted away like flies. But partial truth, they masquerade as an angel of light, and behind these partial truths, there is the father of lies, whom the scriptures call Satan. And Satan's servants are called, you know, lawless people or the Antichrist. People who love darkness. People who masquerade as angels of light. And it's, go- it's, it's the Christian belief that these ideas don't just exist on their own but they represent the actual personality. So let's go into the text, verses 7 to 12, which I didn't have read for us, but I'm going to read uh, most of it for us right now. Follow along with me on the screens. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how satan works he will use all sorts of displays of power through sins through signs and wonders that serve the lie in all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing they perish because they refuse to love the truth And so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. The lawless one the Bible names by the name Satan. And it is the assertion of Scripture that behind the lies, behind the partial truths, to populate our culture, that define our culture, is an actual personality, a person. It's not just the machinery of life at work. It's not just the intangible ideas that come and go. But there's actually somebody scheming, who's plotting, who actually has agency and is acting and active in the world. And it impacts my every day. I was uh, listening to this. Podcast that really helped me uh, understand this. I'm going to try to lay that out for you here. Here it is uh, in skeleton form. We believe what we think we believe based on objective truths. We think we have a good brain. We know how to think. We're rational beings. And based on that, we have certain facts. And based on these facts, we have certain truths and certain lies. We know what's true. We know what's not true. But in reality, what's happening is we base our beliefs, what we believe we believe, on not just facts, but on curated facts. We have a set of curated facts that we base our beliefs on. There are billions and billions and billions of facts. We can't base our beliefs on all of them, so we curate it. That's what we do. We see certain things and not see other things. And it's not just curated facts, but these curated facts are curated by a filter. And this filter is what we call values. Oh, Siri. These facts are filtered through our value system. And our value system is built on a sense of purpose. And scripture says our purpose is given to us by our purpose giver, God himself. So let me give you an uh, example that was given to me that I find so helpful. So I, have, I read a lot of books. I like reading. I think one of my uh, MOs is to be a learner. Now, I don't know how you categorize your books But I don't categorize my books by the number of occurrences of the word the in my books. Do you do that? Have you ever counted all the occurrences of the word the in your books and decided where it goes on the bookshelf? Why do you not do that? Because that metric has no value to you whatsoever, does it? Is that how you remember books? Is that how you relate to the content of the books? No, it's completely irrelevant. But it's a fact. It's one of the billions and billions of facts that exist. You just don't know it. And you don't care to know it because you don't value it. It serves no purpose. And so your purpose determines your values. Your values determine the facts you care about. And the facts you care about lead you to conclude definitively you believe that books should not be categorized by the number of occurrences of the word the. The. Does that make sense? So your whole life is this way. You have thousands of beliefs. You have a viewpoint Collectively, it's called a worldview. You have a worldview that's based on a curated set of facts, and these facts are derived at by a value system you have. And that value system is decided by the purpose that you sense. whether it's conscious or subconscious, you have a sense of purpose. You have many, many purposes throughout the day, priorities. Desires, wants, needs, these are your purposes for the day. Now, where do these purposes come from? And this passage is saying these purposes that we glom onto, that we assume are derived, chosen by us, are actually influenced into, inceptioned into us by a personality. And in some cases, this person is called Satan. Satan that Satan himself is somehow intimately and intricately involved in the way you experience your purpose in life. So, for example, maybe your purpose is pleasure. Maybe your purpose is avoidance. Maybe your purpose is accomplishment. Maybe your purposes are aesthetic. Maybe your purpose is status. Scripture teaches... Wherever you derive your purpose from, that's your God. Your God gives you purpose, and your purpose creates values, and your values create facts, and facts create beliefs, and beliefs lead to action, and actions determine the course of your life. That's what this passage is saying. Have you ever thought about it that way? I'll give you an example Let's take Amazon. There's a bunch of you who work at Amazon. Is Amazon just sort of the machinery at work? How do you feel about Amazon? If you trace all your feelings and your viewpoints about how Amazon works and why, eventually, eventually you arrive at Jeff Bezos. And you may not think about it that way, but if you work at Amazon, you know this to be true. That it was, there is a man who dreamt up this idea of Amazon. Amazon. It began to evolve out of his belief system. Amazon began to exist. And then it began to sort of trickle down and trickle out into one of the most profitable companies. And you are part of that company. And we all experience a certain culture about Amazon. They have a great return policy, I happen to know. At any time of day, I can chat with an agent I could have them call me at my convenience. I can tell them exactly in a 10-minute window when to call me, and they will call me, and they'll thank me and apologize and make me feel amazing. When I'm interacting with Amazon, I am right all the time. And if I'm not feeling right, they'll make me feel right. Where does that come from? That doesn't just exist in a vacuum. If you trace that all the way back, you begin to realize there's a work ethic, there's a work culture. If you trace that, if you keep tracing, taking things back, you get all the way to the mind of Jeff Bezos. It's not just some, you know, uh, non-concrete ideas at play, but there's a concrete person, a real life principle at work. Why would our world not be that way? Why would our culture not be that way? Don't you know that there's always a personality behind everything that you experience in the world? If you come to my house, you're going to experience a little bit of Peter. Everything is tweaked in such a way. You'll see because Peter is a tweaker. If you go out to dinner with me, our conversation is going to go a certain way because I have opinions and viewpoints, and I'm gregarious, I'm extroverted, and I sort of have a dominating personality. I'm a factor that you're going to have to contend with. This is how the world is. This is how everything in the world works. Behind everything, there's a personality that gives things purpose, that create values, that curate facts that lead to belief, that lead to action, that leads to destiny. What about our culture? What about these partial truths? What about relativism? What about tolerance? What about inclusion? What about freedom of speech? These things aren't just ideas. They're the ideas that represent something, which represents something, which represents something. And behind it all, the Bible says there's Satan and and there is, according to the next set of verses, God. So, I'm going to read for us these uh, verses again, 13 to 17. Because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. You see that? Belief based on facts, that's the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you. Whether by word or mouth or by letter, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us by his grace uh, gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Four things I want us to understand about this counter narrative here. Number one, there's an author out there that the Bible calls Satan. He authors a certain purpose, and we learn that his purpose is destruction. And he creates values based on that purpose of destruction, things that violate the laws of God, the created order of things, the absolute truths of how reality works. He's a a man of lawlessness, a person, an entity of lawlessness. He represents the anti-God the antichrist that purpose of destruction leads to a certain set of values which leads to a certain set of facts which leads to beliefs alternatively paul says god chose you he called you in the word sanctify it means to set apart so he's saying You can choose Satan's purpose or you can choose God's purpose. That's in accordance with his created order. There's a lawfulness to God's purpose because God's purpose is life. It's in alignment with these laws. So this is why Christians really emphasize conversion. This is the first conversion. You have to be converted from darkness to light, from hate to love, from lies to truth. You have to believe at the core that God is, that God exists, that he is the personality behind reality itself, and that he has a purpose for you. And he is your God. He is your Lord. He has to decide what your purpose is, that you are a steward. You are answerable to him. This is the first conversion, the primary conversion. He called you. And the alternative, according to Scripture, by default, is Satan. This is where binary truths exist. This is a binary thing. At some point, it's either or. Second point, stand firm and hold fast. You see that in verse 15. It's this idea that if you are just fine with the way the current is flowing, there is no you that exists. If you as an entity exists, then you should feel some sort of resistance. You should feel some sort of force against you that you don't agree with. And there's sort of an instinct that kicks in to stand against something, to self-differentiate, to define yourself in ways that sometimes contradict the waters around you. One of my favorite quotes is this, all the waters in the seas can't sink a ship unless it gets inside the ship. That everything around you are like the waters, and you are a ship, and you want your hull to be intact and maintain its integrity. You can't just agree with everything that the culture is throwing at you because culture is changing all the time. It doesn't love your soul. It doesn't see you. It doesn't care about you. It has its own calculus for why it believes what it believes. And you are not that. You have to be different. And so verse 2 says... To not become easily unsettled or alarmed. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Verse 4, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything. There's a kind of opposition to you that exists in the world. So stand firm. Hold fast. Be okay being different. Be okay having a brain, having a viewpoint. And then third, at the core, the strength that you uh, tap into it's not some idea that you are smart, that you are amazing, that you are competent, but that you are loved. Verse 16 says this is primary, that you are loved. That's your core identity. And from that place of being loved, you see everything accurately. And allows you to do the fourth thing, which is always word and deed. And this is an important point to end on because Christians are being silenced. And they're sort of reverting to just action only. You know, there are famous quotes like, you know, you tell, you tell me what you believe, I'll show you what I believe by my deeds. But words are important, both. These things have to exist together and you have to know how to stand firm in your identity as a loved one through word and deed. Not just either or. So, church, I want to remind us today that we live in a world that's vying for your purpose. One is to life, one is to destruction. And eventually, if you keep tracing your thoughts and you keep asking why, you get to a person. And it's either Satan or God. And I want to remind you that God has called you. Amen?